The first lesson is from the wisdom of Solomon. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish they seemed to have died, and their departure was thought to be a disaster, and their going from us to be their destruction. But they are at peace. For though in the sight of others they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, they will receive great good, because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them, and like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. In the time of their visitation, they will shine forth and will run like sparks through the stubble. They will govern nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord will reign over them forever. Those who trust in him will understand truth, and the faithful will abide with him in love. Because grace and mercy are upon his holy ones, and he watches over his elect. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for today is Psalm 24. We will read responsively by the half verse, as indicated by the asterisk. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. For it is he who founded it upon the seas. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hearts clean hands, and a pure heart. They shall receive a blessing from the Lord. Such is the generation of those who seek the Lord. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors. Who is this glorious sovereign? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them high, O everlasting doors. And the glorious sovereign shall come in. And who is this glorious sovereign? The Lord is the Lord of hosts. The Lord is sovereign. A reading from Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord. 
When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they might believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The Gospel of the Lord. Welcome to the celebration of all the saints. And um, hopefully it's helpful to say that I think we kind of struggle with the idea of sainthood. So maybe a few words about it. Um, often we think about saints as being these perfect people who frankly are inspiring and yet unemulatable in either their piety or their deeds. Uh, so much so, right? And we've just done this uh, this week, Halloween, this old word, all Hallowed's Eve combined, you know, Hallowed really is that term referring to the halo. And how many people do you know who wear a halo in their lifetime? <laughs> a few, a few perhaps. Um, hopefully it's helpful to hear though that haloed people, that holy people, that saints in the Bible, and this is true in the Episcopal Church, don't only refer to the departed, but refer to the living. So consider that all of Paul's epistles are written to the saints in Ephesus or the saints in Corinth. The gospel is read to the saints in St. Thomas. Maybe I'm not one of those. Saints means really holy ones, and holy is not in the Bible a category of piety. Holy really means set apart. Or, to put it another way, extraordinary. When I talk to our day school kids, we talk about the difference between the ordinary world and what we do in here. We have ordinary bread every week. In fact, you probably eat better bread at your home. However, we say, we ask God to do something extraordinary with it. To nourish not just our bodies, but our spirits. And to show that it's extraordinary, we don't serve it on a plate. We serve it on a patten, a word you would never use out there at a dinner party, to show it's extraordinary. And this, and I suggest to you, are who the saints are, people who even just for a moment do something extraordinary, just for a moment. Consider, we have a really um, 
high criterion and sainthood. It's really hard to talk about saints until, well, people have been dead a long time and we forget how annoying they could be. Um, we have to forget. We think that's really helpful. See, the truth is, when we think about people like Martin Luther King Jr., it's very easy to say he was a saint, and we easily forget he was a chronic philanderer. He was. What we've chosen, though, is to remember. Remember instead, not the deeds he did that led to death, and they did, the deeds he did that made life larger and bigger. It is easy, I think, for us to hear with Mark Anthony that the evil men does lives after them. The good is often teared with their bones. I want to suggest to you in all saints, it is the good that people do that lives after them, and it is the evil in the Lord that is interred with their bones. You know, we talk about this, if you've ever been to a funeral with me, um, really what sainthood is about, and the promise of the Lord. And sorry, if you go to school here, you've already heard this. When I use the snuffer over the candle, what happens to the light? Go ahead, it's okay. I know this is unepiscopal. What happens when I snuff the light? It does not go out, it changes. <laughs> This is why I love godly play. It doesn't go out. It changes. Are you ready? So it changed into smoke and it goes up. And you know, this is part of the promise we have anytime we do the burial rite. That in the light, in the Lord, life is not ended. It's changed. Life is not ended, it's changed. And so we celebrate the light of the saints today, which has never gone out. But you know, I think I got it right this morning. There's something really interesting about light. I, the last time I had a science course was in the 10th grade. So, so forgive me, but I'm going to try to get this right. Light behaves like a wave, you know, but it also behaves like a particle. They used to say that light, while it doesn't have mass, it does have momentum. Light moves things. This is an interesting thing to think about saints. In front of us, they might light up the world for us, but when their light is changed and we see it no longer, of course, what we can never undo is the fact that the saints moved us closer to God. And I want to suggest to you that the saints don't always do that with our own willingness. Sometimes, willing or unwilling, saints are holy people because they push us to larger life, even if just for a second. And how grand the opportunity we have in front of us, not just to celebrate the saints who are dead, but to celebrate the saints who perhaps we haven't even seen in 35 years. That fifth grade teacher who spent that extra time with you and pushed you a little closer to life being bigger. We celebrate that saint. We celebrate saints who we live with at home and who, while they could be extremely annoying, also in those small moments, small, I think, is key, push us a little bit closer to this larger bit of life. 
And of course, we're not just here to celebrate these people. We're not just here to be grateful for the living and the dead who have made our lives bigger. We're, of course, invited to join them as saints of the living God, saints of light in making the world brighter and in having God's momentum on the world. It's interesting to think about light. The Gospel of John says the light shines in the dark, and the dark has not overcome it. And of course, at home, you don't have a dark switch. You only have a light switch. So it is true, I think, as we celebrate the Day of the Dead, the Day of the Saints of the Living, that we have opportunities before us every day, all the time, to choose things that will not outlast our lifetime. Things like annoyance and pettiness and vengeance and selfishness. We can choose those things. Don't worry, they won't last. <laughs> they will die with you. Or we can choose every day, even in small moments, things like faith, hope, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, forgiveness. Those things in the Lord are lights that the darkness cannot ever overcome. That's our celebration and our opportunity today. And so we hear in the gospel this rather interesting story. You know, as a, as a Southern Baptist, when we had to memorize verses, everybody wanted John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept, because I get a candy for that. Um, it was great. Um, it, I am sure that Jesus weeps because he loves Lazarus as a friend. But I want to suggest to you that John is actually doing something different in the story. I think John has Jesus encountering us at our most broken. Here is a man, Lazarus, who has died, or at least everybody was so convinced he was dead that they shut him up in a tomb. They bound him in burial clothes. His own sister, when Jesus says, let's bring new life to the man, says, Jesus, he stinks. It is possible you have never known somebody so repugnant to you that you thought they were disgusting. But it's possible you have. This story is about those people. This story is about people we have decided are dead and have no chance of resurrection. This story is about alcoholics. This story is about people who have diagnosable or undiagnosed mental illness. This story is about registered Democrats. This story is about... <laughs> thank you for laughing. <laughs> this story is about whoever you don't like. Sorry, this story is about whoever you hate and possibly for really good reasons. They are abominable, they are despicable, and they belong in the land of the dead, and we have consigned them there. And if God were to ask you, and I, it's possible you don't know one of these people. <laughs> I do. I suspect someone you love at least knows one of these people. And when God asks, the sister of the dead man, Let's roll that tomb away and let's have some light in there. She says, no. And then Jesus illustrates sainthood, doesn't he? 
He says, I didn't care if you want to. <laughs> pull, pull the rock out. And then he says to the person they thought could never live again, come out and unbind him. Wrap off the fetters of your lack of forgiveness, your lack of vision, your prejudice and your hurt so that Lazarus can live again. The saints do that for us. I don't know if a saint has ever done that for you. I don't know if you've ever been in a tomb, so to speak, in a place in which maybe you were fired from a job or someone did something unjust or you were in a relationship where you just sort of felt like there could be no new life again regardless of whose fault it was. If that was you, I pray to God that a saint of light said, come out, come out, unbind them, unbind you from living in the realm of the dead. I want to tell you, I very much believe in that as the gospel. When we go to places where people have consigned and we say, come out, we are in fact doing what we say in the creed every week, believing in the resurrection of the dead. But I think it would be really disingenuous of me to tell you that I believe in it and that I cannot always do it. There are graves I'm not even sure I can mourn at, and I'm talking about for people in my life who are very much alive physically. I don't think it's because I'm just too weak. Could be. A few thoughts about how it is that God deals with us on All Saints Day in those moments. Contrary to the way I grew up, I didn't believe that God judges us in our weakness. What I believe is in those moments of weakness, God looks at our inability to go to the tombs and says, I understand why you can't go. The next thing that God does, I think, <laughs> is promises us that with or without us, God will reconcile the world to God's own self. And I think what that means, quite honestly, is that if I can't be reconciled to people during my lifetime, God will do it after we're all dead. Sometimes I wish God wouldn't even do it then. And what a grateful thing that God is not like me. God is greater than me and greater than you. And the promise of all saints is that God can see light even in cracks. And then I think the interesting thing about All Saints Day is that there are these moments of weakness where we cannot go to the tombs. And of course, the promise of faith in the saints is that we're not alone. You are not the only saint in the world. <laughs> Aren't you grateful for that? There are other people who God can get to go to the tombs in our lives. And I'm pretty sure that's why, since 1976, we no longer say in the Nicene Creed, I believe. We believe. 
I will tell you, if I'm honest, I didn't believe all that stuff every Sunday. But someone in here does. And on that day, you carry me. My prayer is, on the day you can't, maybe I could carry you so that we, in fact, believe. Just taking a step back to Revelation, this is really quite a lovely passage. Do you know, Larry, you can't say it, (laughs) does anybody know the best-selling book series of all time? Does anybody know it? It's not Harry Potter, I'm very disappointed to tell you. It's Left Behind. And in the book series Left Behind, and in the religious education of my youth, earth was to be endured because it's a miserable dark place. And one glad morning, when this life is over, God will call us up and we'll fly away. And if you're super lucky, because you're living in the end times, Jesus will take you away so that you don't have to suffer persecution. And that's written by a group of folks who didn't read the Bible. Because in the verse today, notice where God dwells, not in heaven away. The new Jerusalem comes to earth because God lives among mortals. The saints are the people who say God is building mansions on earth right now, even if you can't see it. They're real. Let me show you to the door. Let me show you to the sidewalk. Let me just tell you, it's over there. Head that way. The saints are the people who push us to the new Jerusalem. And they might do it haphazardly. I'm going to tell you briefly uh, about two saints in my own life. St. Patrick, not the Irish one. Around this time last year, I went to run a marathon, and I don't know why I decided to do that, but I did. And sure enough, at the race, showed up my friend Patrick. He ran that race. (laughs) Patrick has run the Boston Marathon a few times. He's really fast, and he's really good at running. And somehow, he kept running and showing up at mile 7 and mile 10. He might have actually run the marathon (laughs) sides. I don't know how he did it. He showed up at mile 17, and he showed up at mile 20, and he showed up at mile 22.4, and he was so happy to see me on the course. He didn't say like, hey, tempo, hey, um, why are you walking? Hey, you might as well walk. Um, (laughs) He showed up so exuberant, so happy I was in the race at all that I thought, you know, actually, I didn't even think. (laughs) After mile 22, I wasn't thinking anymore. But I felt the light come out of him, and I'll tell you, I felt him pushing me. I don't know if I made the the world a better place by choosing to run that marathon, but I know he made my world a better place by showing up to cheer me on. I'm going to tell you about one other saint. My senior year of college did not go well <laughs> for a number of reasons. I did not get into the graduate school of my choice because my college sent the wrong transcript four times. And uh, frankly, I didn't think that was funny. I thought it was devastating. I got on disciplinary probation because I chose not to wear shoes into the dining hall. 
I didn't think that was funny. I was terribly afraid. Um, I'd cultivated a friendship for several, several months. And um, then all of a sudden it was gone for no discernible reason. So down and out, I uh, went into spring break. Normally, I went somewhere in the world with friends. And this year I was going home to work for my dad. <laughs> Which is not, uh, not larger life, let me tell you. Um, there I went, sort of broken in the car, and um, this song came up on the radio, and I want to tell you, I hate metaphors for life being like dancing. I hate them, and I also hate Hallmark cards. And St. Leanne Womack showed up on the radio and said, if you get the choice between sitting out or dancing, I hope you dance. And I hate that that song lit up my world, but it did. Because, you know, I wish, like, E.E. E. Cummings or, or, you know, Thoreau did it. But nope, it was St. Leanne Womack. And I've never met that lady, and she moves me closer to God. And that's the promise of the saints, is that the life's ended, begun, moments where we are just open to the extraordinary move the world. And we get to do something quite interesting today. We get to remember... Not only those who we see no longer, but still for the push. Some people we continue to see and we celebrate. But of course, we also get to celebrate the sainthood of Lily as we baptize her, God's own child. It's an amazing day between the communion of the living and the dead because the truth is in the Lord, life is not ended, it's changed. Before we begin that commemoration, I want to read to you, not the words of St. Leanne Womack, but I do want to read to you a poem by St. Rebecca Parker, one of my favorite authors in seminary, about our opportunity to join the saints each and every day. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can serve to feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, or do the work of justice or offer love. Any of these can draw down the prison door, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice or withhold love. And so you and I must answer this question, what will we do with our gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love. Protesting, urging, insisting, that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and this rage, the choice to bless the world can take you into solitude to search for the sources of power and grace. 
native wisdom, healing, and liberation. More. The choice will draw you into community. The endeavor shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith, the life of ritual and praise, the comfort of human friendship, the company of earth, the chorus of life welcoming you. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting.